Hello and thank you. Hello, thank you for joining us again. Uh, uh, if you have joined us again, if not, thank you for just coming this time. Um, I really didn't want to do this particular podcast. I really was uh, reluctant to sit here and give you my views on the coronavirus. <laughs> really, really strange. Uh, the coronavirus is one of those popular mainstream topics and uh, you can't escape it or hide from it but i think it was i thought it might be helpful and interesting for you to maybe hear the way that i have uh, received the coronavirus um so I, as always in true fashion i haven't quite thought this one through but i think the coronavirus first probably came to my knowledge uh and on my radar not immediately when things were kicking off in china and that's probably the, the very beginning part of the story i guess um, so how did we get to know the coronavirus i hate to say it but the reality for me is i didn't really know about it until the news decided to tell us that China was building X number of new hospitals or this massive area and actually the, the, the death toll and how many people got the virus um, was racking up. Uh, and I think that was the real big sort of newsflash to say, look, uh, this is quite serious. And... Coming up, coming on from that, the the virus has spread, and I think it was still one of those epidemic containment issues that was really current on the world global scale, but didn't really kind of hit me. It was just another bit of world news, um, and I think it, it, in my mind. Uh, if we talk about some of the other things that have happened in my time, uh, finding Bin Laden, um, going to Iraq, toppling down its leaders, um, that there are numerous other things that have happened. And it's particularly within the UK as well. Uh, I mean, we're looking at 9-11. These are all really key Saddam Hussein uh, which I should have said alongside Iraq, these are all key moments. So when a crisis appears, my immediate response is quite, uh, well, it's to prick up my ears and take a take a good listen on what's going on. But it's never to panic and to think, oh, wow, that's going on. And look over here, this is really unique because the world that we live in today actually is filled with so many other things that are constantly life-changing, threatening, live-or-die scenarios. And 
we're always sold these stories as being on epic scales and epic proportions. And I'm not saying that they're not or that they are. I'm just saying we're sold them in that way and they are what they are. And that they are all um, really important, valid, different um, news items. And what's interesting is uh, talking about the coronavirus specifically, I've recently um, rediscovered Ebola um, and how that evolved in Africa and I hope it's in Africa, <laughs> but it's really interesting to hear uh, TED Talks uh, of multiple varieties, but in particular, four or five years ago, Bill Gates, of all people, um, did a talk about Ebola and how it was a particular type of virus and war might seem evident, but the biggest war will not be large. It will be on microscopic scales. And in essence, he really did predict uh, coronavirus coming along. And there were a number of things that he pointed out that didn't work with Ebola um, that we failed on uh, nationally or America or Africa. Uh, and he sort of spent the time of the talk raising these different issues saying these are the areas you know th that we could improve on and that was great to hear but no one would really think that would happen again but logically if as i'm saying the world is constantly in crisis then there is no global global community there are only independents uh, and each country tends to be out on its own and it's really sad that that happens but that's just the way the world works. I mean, looking at uh, local politics uh, within the UK, um, the other day I heard about, sorry, this is actually off piece slightly. Um, I actually heard about uh, Yorkshire and the central government in London and Westminster giving more power to the northern powerhouse. And there, there's lots of things being done with northern cities and regions, but in particular, the West Yorkshire area has now been given its own uh, mayor uh, and that's a new bureaucratic layer almost but it allows them to um, understand what's going on as Yorkshire as a, as a region I suppose and in the same way I suppose what I'm trying to say is the EU and the United Nations I mean, they're, they're the only real two organizations that are global in some sense. And I guess they're not that global because you could argue they're, they're, they're skewed from, the, from their angle. And because of the lack of this real global leadership where leaders or prime ministers and presidents unite, um, the G8 summit, for example, is limited in what its functions are, and it's not often enough. Uh, so it, maybe it's potentially the, the case that uh, we need uh, to buy into another level of uh, a bureaucratic layer of having world earth peace leaders, uh, and they would be able to pick up on issues like coronavirus. But without that, top layer it's almost like uh, we're, we're headless chickens and i think we can see that with 
in Britain and in some areas and some countries. And it does feel like each country is doing its own thing. And the hope is that none of them are wrong, but the, the overall reduction of the viruses uh, being attracted uh, will reduce over time. And China has shown that by taking its actions. And the hope is that Italy will follow through. The hope is that um, in America and the UK uh, and across Europe that these numbers would go down, but they will take time because it's taken a couple of months for China to really calm down. So I know I've kind of gone off on a different tangent, but really the point of view that I'm sort of giving across is that the lack of uh, unity in some ways. So each country is having to figure out what it's doing on its own. And meanwhile, and back in the UK, we're busy criticising uh, Boris Johnson for doing his job. And I think there is um, a slight sense of disruption. But I think what's interesting is there are some countries, and I don't know Italy per se and how its personality is, um, but it feels like they've got a get up and they, they just gone right let's do it let's be united let's agree and i'm sure italy was the country which was the only country to have people chant and sing and be united in the streets but within their own homes so that they have social isolation uh, but yet they're, they're still happy on some level and they're still forging something that's positive out of this so all they need to do is buy time and yet in the uk there's a real sense of disparity of blame and why are we doing this and i think that different countries uh, are responding to it differently and i'm not going to say that boris johnson's done everything perfectly in the uk or that trump's done everything perfectly but in the uk in particular it's uh, conservatives are in power but we do have this mentality of we're a conservative nation, and that just means that we are reserved and we might take a little longer to process and do what we're told. Uh, and so in that sense, leveling things out on different stages and rather than just hitting us all with everything's closed, as it feels like Italy has done, it does seem like the, to stagger things in the UK was the right thing because Ultimately, we're looking at um, a communication strategy and how we do deliver um, the right information at the right time. And that's actually a very similar quote to what Boris came out with. And I do think there's some truth to that and some truth to him being thought out in the way he's delivering things. But unfortunately, by not being fully open um, with his dialogue and intentions, I think it does kind of leave uh, those gaps for people to then critique him and it does then form a real uh, lack of unity in how people might um, perceive that communications process uh, and how we are tackling coronavirus as a nation. And I think it is really interesting to see such a critical eye being cast. And coming back to the positivity side of um some countries being quite positive with their spin. I think that there is a great deal of uh, digital poverty and uh, an assumption from uh, the UK government that 
it is engaging when, in my opinion at least, um, it doesn't engage or uh, it tends to publicize or not publicize even, it tends to produce things and put it there and people can access it. Therefore, that is a level of engagement. And I think that used to be the case and it has improved somewhat, but I think there's always going to be this issue of uh, a real sense of engagement and talking to and getting information from the general public and really delivering that on a grassroots level almost and really to be that connected and that there's a real lack of that so i think there's always going to be questions asked about how uh, such a big pandemic uh, like coronavirus does transpire and how it does communicate to everyone at different levels uh, and if the government is just putting information out and helping or is it actually being reciprocated by uh, the general public now, I think some of those things, if we take them, are, are really interesting because I do not know entirely if I did hand over my uh, mobile phone number or my details, um, but I do know that I have subscribed to a number of emails uh, from other borough councils uh, around the north of England. So the one that really comes up that deserves praise would be Bradford, which is slightly unusual. I have to admit, because uh, I would have thought Leeds and Liverpool and Manchester, um, some of the biggest cities, Sheffield, might have really got up there and got to grips with coronavirus first. However, there are those councils who seek uh, counsel and abide by the rule of central government. But it felt to me like Bradford didn't do that and it stepped a little bit ahead of itself and it sent this general email out to all subscribers that assumed, assuming this is correct, it's people that would receive their services and information about bin collection days and stuff. But I just happened to be uh, interested in this weird stuff. And to have a subject of coronavirus... Uh, a good week or two, more than a week, so it would have been a couple of weeks ahead of time, was really interesting. And then I didn't see anything from others. Well, I didn't see anything to do with coronavirus. However, I did see lots of social gatherings and town hall events and publicity being promoted and pushed out. So I was a bit um, taken aback and uh, bewildered in some ways because I did think that it, it could have been some of those emails that councils were emailing out and some of that information it was putting at the top of its banners and on its homepage across the board weren't really listening to the coronavirus and it wasn't really trying to pick up on uh, any real information about what the people might be looking for. And I do know people were looking for coronavirus updates, but they weren't anywhere other than on the news. Uh, they, they just didn't exist on local authorities. And then when it becomes an issue, I think the councils are still looking at um, what to do because although it's employed and deployed these um, marketing communications type workers, they, they're, they're ultimately not being told to put stuff out there. And I think if it was, if I was in a senior position, I would, I would put something out there. I would definitely have, 
put an email out a lot sooner than some of the other cities that I've seen. And it's just a bit sad to see um, something that is clearly, as I said, when it when it broke out of China and when they were building the the hospitals, I think the spread uh, was imminent because there was always going to be a possibility that it would come near the UK uh, based on the simple fact that it's an airborne virus. So I think starting uh, hand washing and washing your hands, staying clean, look out for infections or um, flu vaccines or anything to do to do with uh, self-care, medicating, NHS-related stuff could have been uh, pushed out and to see what the clickbait would be like um, because that's when you would know that there's interest in those topics and the more people that are drawn to it, then you'll go, oh, people are worried and I didn't see any of those things. So I think there was a clear lack of... Um, I suppose councils would see it as risk-taking because factually speaking, there, there was nothing for them to do until it was time, at which point um, it was scaremongering in my opinion because it was a bit late. But I think we can only do what uh, we're able to do and in the positivity of it, in, in the words, in the hopes that we can just be more positive about it, I think that there is a slight twist that maybe we can uh, focus on. So coming back to something I've lightly touched on, which was digital poverty. Uh, my hope is that there is none and that from the emails and the text messages I've got, I hope those that are digitally poverty stricken are allowed to go to their community centres and cafes to, uh, and internet cafes to access their emails, to find out about the coronavirus. Those of us that don't have TVs, again, the, the poor, the people at the other end of the spectrum that um, choose to or not out of choice do not have access to these media. There are still a lot of people out there that live in this group uh, and I'm sort of keen to and I'm hopeful that they do receive um, this information about the coronavirus and what to do and how to do it and that it is contained and that they don't become ill because of it. And I think that the more we're seeing, um, we're starting to see cures being put out, so testing, human testing being put out for vaccines, which is great. But in that time frame, I think there is a real positive note to be taken on the spotlight of any gaps that are in the digital world. Because if the government are not, really putting current information out up there uh, as quick as uh, they have done but now that they are doing it quite quickly I suppose now that we're in the thick of it I think there are a few gaps that I feel are highlighted and it's around um, almost like social cohesion and a slight different view on an um, economy and the economy of how people are living, less on money. Uh, economy should never really be about um, the capital and the shares, and that's just part of it. But the, the most part of it is about the psychology of people, how they move around. And I think 
now that they're being removed from the real world, I think people's digital footprints could actually be more interesting because that gives us a real insight into how people could use uh, the digital through the day. And I think there is a real opportunity for workplaces to now reduce the overhead costs and their costs in having and paying out for these office spaces when people can work from home. And if the coronavirus situation has illuminated to working at home being a thing, and if this develops as a thing, this also has a knock-on effect um, towards the cost of living and what digital poverty is and how people need uh, digital broadband speeds as part of their utility almost. So that would see communications like the broadband and mobile phone and landline being used as a utility bill, which it feels like it's still, uh, or it is still excluded from that circle. But by bringing it in as a utility, we're giving it more focus. And we're also making uh, promises not to 5G, but working further and harder at even faster broadband, 10 times the speed it is now. And we were already sold that this speed that we've got now is 10 times faster than dial-up, which it is, but by people working at home. There's a lot more we could be doing for providing even faster uh, broadband speeds. Just take my home, for example. Um, smart devices, smart meters, smart TVs, multiple devices, not just mobile, but computers and tablets, um, many different electric sockets that are all being turned smart. And I think it's really uh, interesting to see, to not get bogged down in coronavirus being uh, bad, but actually to find different economies that might come out of this, because there will be uh, a number of businesses, I hope there won't be, but it does sound like a lot of small as a lot of small businesses smes independents are potentially going to go out of business coffee shops for example might be going out of business because they can't afford the the, the rates and pay the staff uh, with the idea of social isolation just means people aren't out there so with them shutting down there must be uh, a spotlight given to what people are doing online and what digital economy is and to maybe strategize more about the digital economy separately because people will be using digital tools more because they will be at home more. So just food for thought really. I think I've kind of covered a wide spectrum of uh, things but I think the, the most interesting things for me are the opportunities out there for developing a real strong economy based on digital tools, which I suppose is my personal thread. But I think that the doom and gloom of the coronavirus hopefully will end with as few casualties as possible, but hopefully will not lead to us just being blind about it, but hopefully will allow lots of other entrepreneurs and individuals and government services to reevaluate some of what it's doing and how it's doing and to really improve on some of those areas. 
So that's me done. Thank you for listening. Please do uh, tweet me and or leave your comments. And please do subscribe to these emails if this is your first one you've listened to. And thank you for listening right to the end. Um, this is your coronavirus podcast update. Um, thank you for listening to me whine on for some time. Please do tweet me at Tea and Toast uh, or subscribe and jump on to the next podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time. Welcome to Tim Podcast.